May we set down the valley of struggle in a worship of our God and start looking forward to an eternity that is going to be unbelievably satisfying. Amen. Powerful song. Man, we are here to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. May he truly get all of our praise. May he get all of our attention. May he get all of our worship. It is all about Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen, man. As we rally at the end of a Thanksgiving week here, let's just remember and thank and praise him for all we have in him, for all we have now, and for all that is coming. May God get all the glory. Man, we're in a series here, and we're walking through the beginning of the book of Revelation, the first three chapters, and uh, we've called this wake-up call, right? It's a call to the seven churches. Those were real churches. Everybody say real. Real churches at the time of John. They were churches that were right there close to him. He was on the island of Patmos, and he was basically kind of put into this island away from people so that he wouldn't be talking about Jesus Christ. And Christ gave him a challenge. When you're released, bring out this message. And the challenge to the church is right there around him, just within tens of miles of each other. And so we're walking through each of those churches and the challenges given, the praise of what they were doing well, and even the challenge of what they had to go after. And it's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call for us as a church today. So what does it look like to be living in a struggling world that doesn't get Jesus Christ and be called to take a stand for him. Man, may we grasp with all we've got that we get to sound the alarm and we get to sound the worship and praise. May Christ get all the glory. Ready? And all of God's people said, amen, man. It's a wake-up call for us as a church. So let's continue on as we turn now to the Church of Philadelphia. If you want to turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7, Revelation 3, starting in verse 7, that's on page 52 in your books, those Revelation books that we've been passing out, and that's got your sermon notes in it and all of that, all right? So page 52 there. As we get going after the church of Philadelphia and the challenge here to hold fast, point number one, do not deny the name of Jesus, even in your weakness. Do not deny the name of Jesus, even in your weakness. Let's jump in with verse seven here. He says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. All right, so let's jump back to the beginning here. He starts out, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Same start as in all the other letters, right? Each of the churches gets spoken to in the same way. To the angel, this word angel, again, in the Greek, it's a word that just means messenger. It could be a human messenger. It could be a divine messenger. When we hear the word angel, right, we think of that divine messenger from God to man coming down and giving message, but it could also just be a human to human messenger in the way the the Greek used it, and that's probably what actually is being spoken of here is John's being challenged to get a word out to the messenger, to the pastor of this church, and to rally them around a call. So this is written to the messenger of the church in Philadelphia. Let's make sure we know a little bit about the church of Philadelphia. This is not in Pennsylvania, right? 
And uh, so the Church of Philadelphia, this is right there in Asia. It's a little bit over from some of the other churches that we've been looking at. And uh, similar to Sardis, this church is on high ground. We heard a little bit about Sardis last week as Pastor Steve brought the message there and just did a great job bringing a challenge piece to that. But Sardis kind of lifted up high. There were some roads that passed underneath. Sardis was actually more of a military outpost because of its height and elevation. But here, Philadelphia, actually the same kind of up high ground over a main road, uh, but it was not a military outpost. In fact, in this case, these people were longing to be able to be connected to the Roman culture so much that they started to become like, let's just be a little Greek uh, culture and outpost in that way. We're going to be like the Roman citizens. They were actually called Little Athens was the nickname. They played a role of trying to look like and act like so much of the Roman culture. And uh, this was a huge um, experiential city, if you want to say it that way. You could experience the Roman culture in every little way. Now, the reality is with it being up high, there was actually susceptible to some things as well, and earthquakes was one of those. There were a lot of earthquakes around there and some rumbling in that. It's going to come up in the end of this passage just for a moment here, so just keep that in mind, all right? Philadelphia, where did it get its name? Well, actually, one of the emperors uh, had a strong, passionate love for his brother and a care for his brother, and uh, they started calling him a nickname. They called him Brother Lover. I think it was supposed to be super complimentary. It sounds a little bit derogatory to me, but whatever. They called him Brother Lover, and uh, this, it really was the word Philadelphus. And so they took that name and they named their city after it. The city was named a number of different things over time, but they named it that to say, we're honoring you just trying to draw in the appreciation of the Roman uh, leadership in that regard, all right? So that's Philadelphia, highly Greek and Roman, highly steeped into the Roman culture. That means highly steeped into sin and a ton of what was going on there. And this uh, city was trying to take a stand for connecting with the emperor in that regard. All right, here we go. It says, the words of the Holy One, the true one. And so this is Jesus, everybody say it's Jesus. Right, Jesus is talking about himself and he's like, let me give you a little of my resume. He does this in each of the letters. He says, here's who I am and it's gonna matter as we walk through the rest of my challenge to you. Jesus says, the holy one and the true one. He's calling himself God, holy, like there is no sin in me. I am perfect, I am righteous, I am stunningly glory-based. I am absolutely perfect in all that I do. Holy, this is Jesus Christ talking about himself. We really can't ever say this even closely, right? There's no human being that can come up with these words and summarize themselves this way, but this is Jesus, the God of the universe. He says, the Holy One, the true one. Like every word I speak is correct. There is nothing I say that is wrong. I live true, I speak true. I am true. And I am stunningly, perfectly holy. This is the God we worship. This is the one who is so worthy. And all of God's people said, Jesus saying, hey, this is who I am. Don't lose that. He says, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. He's like, I have the keys to the kingdom. 
That's really what he's saying. When he says the keys of David, he's talking about the messianic kingdom. He's like, I am Messiah. I am the one who will rule forever. I am the one with the keys to the Davidic messianic kingdom, the one spoken of throughout the Old Testament in a number of different ways. That's me. I am the one with fulfillment. Now, just so you know, in Revelation 1, it says that he has the keys, but there he has the keys to death and Hades. So that's to the, the eternal punishment. That's to hell. He has the keys to those. And he also has the keys to the Davidic kingdom, to eternal glory, to heaven, and him reigning as king over all. Jesus Christ, he has the keys to everything. And then he summarizes, so what I shut stays shut. What I open stays open. I'm in charge. Jesus Christ is in charge of hell and heaven. He is in charge of it all, and he runs it all. Man, please hear me. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, grasp this. He is the holy one. He is the righteous one. He is the true one. He is the one absolutely in charge. And we are to bow and call him worthy. May he get all our praise. And for those who refuse to bow before Jesus Christ, Scripture's pretty clear. There is death and Hades. There is hell forever, and Christ owns those keys. And for those who are willing to bow and worship and praise him and celebrate him and call him Lord and Savior, there is eternal life with him forever. Christ is king, and he owns the keys to that. Your salvation is secure. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, he's like, listen, I own it all. I'm in charge, and let's just put one word on it. I am sovereign. What I say goes, no matter what, whether it's to the punishment side or the privilege side, what I say goes. He says, I know your works. I remember this is the God of the universe, the holy one, the righteous one, the true one, who says, I know your works. So you really have to picture the proper facial expression when you hear those words, right? Like if you hear the one who is righteous, holy, and true, and he says, I know your works, right? That's a little... Scary and intimidating. I don't think that's the facial expression or the tone of voice. Jesus is saying, I know your works. With a smile and a tenderness, I understand what's going on. I know it all. And I can see what's happening. And I'm with you. Hearing that tender tone, hearing that love and appreciation from Jesus, I know your works. He says, behold. And when we see the word behold, we say, yeah, check it out. We're going to see this word three times over. It's going to pop up pretty fast here, but he's basically saying, let me show you what I know. He says, behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. He's like, remember, I have the keys and I've opened up eternal life for you, heaven forever, and I am promising you eternal life with me. If you have trusted me as Savior, if I am your king, forever protected, you've got it. You are safe. Jesus Christ promising them, yes, a blessing to come of eternal life that will never be taken away. And then he says, and I know that you have but little power. I know that you have but little power. Now, I'll just tell you, there's a little bit of conversation about this phrase. Some will say, I think he's tucking in a little bit of a negative here. Like, uh, you're kind of weak. And I don't think that's what's going on. If you look at the other letters and the recipe of what he used, he starts out with saying, here's the praise and the compliment. 
And then after that, he says, but I have one thing against you. And then he brings out the negative. I don't think this is a negative. This is actually him getting very real and very tender with a group of people that are going through a lot of tough times and a lot of heartache. And he says to him, I know you have but little power. Like this world is washing on your shore and it's taking a toll. I know that you are hurting. I know that you are taking on struggle. I know that you are taking on attack. And I know that it's tiring at some levels and your strength is waning. Have you been there? Where you're in the middle of a tough, tough time and it's tapped your strength. When it comes to you muscling it up, you barely got it. He's like, I know you're there. And then he says, and yet. Everybody say, and yet. He's like, but I know there's something good going on inside. He says, and yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Like you're hanging with me. Your faith is strong. Your physical strength may be a little weak. Your emotional strength may be a little weak. This world is tiring you at one level, but your faith will not be moved. You are hanging with me in the toughest of moments. And I see that. And I'm with you. And I'm hurting with you. And I so appreciate your commitment to me. This is Christ talking and shouting it out. Hey, I know you have little power, but you have not denied my word and you have not denied my name. When people began to challenge and say, if you stand with Jesus Christ, we stand against you. They're like, well, I stand with Jesus Christ. Like they didn't have much strength muscling it up themselves, but they would not move from his side. It doesn't matter what you bring at me, I'm with him. And are you ready to be that strong with Jesus? It doesn't matter what comes my way, whether there's a yes or a no or a wait, I will worship him. May he get all the glory. And whether this world stands against or beside, I will stand with my God. Obedience in faith. May God get all the glory. Man, I'm just going to say it this way. In the middle of our weakness, oftentimes we can demonstrate our strongest faith. Man, our mountaintop faith is found in the valley of struggles. Mountaintop faith is found in the valley of struggles. Let that settle for a moment. Have you ever met someone where you see them have just this rocking faith? They're on fire for Jesus Christ. Man, I can guarantee you that if there is a fire and a passion for Jesus Christ that is weathering the storms, it's because they have been through valleys. And in the midst of the valley, they have seen the heartache. And in the midst of tears in their eyes, they will not move. They are standing with him. The valley of struggle is the most precious moment in this world for you because it will shape your soul to trust your God no matter what. Man, I'm telling you, mountaintop faith comes in the valley of struggles. Our success is often found not in the absence of struggle, but in the faithfulness as we follow. All too often, we start to measure our life by the absence of struggle. Everybody say, bad plan. Dude, that is not the plan. 
in the midst of the struggle and my being faithful in my following. May God get all the glory. He then says, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not, right? Again, the same phrase, those who say they are Jews but are not, they are the synagogue of Satan. We saw the same statement made of the church of Smyrna. It was the second church and it was the same talk. You got to remember, if you throw yourself back, remember what was going on at the time of John. The number of believers was fairly small. They obviously still, they don't have the exact numbers, but somewhere probably in that, we'll call it 40,000, I don't know, around there, believers everywhere in the world. Total numbers kind of in that range. And so a church of a couple hundred believing in Christ was kind of prototypical. And in the midst of these small numbers, remember the church was kind of welling up, coming through the Jewish community. They knew about the Messiah and the coming Lord, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so there were a lot of Jews attached to coming over to Christ and then some Gentiles along with. And the Jewish people started to connect into the statement of who Christ was and take a stand with him. And then some said, we are looking for the Messiah and we don't think it's Jesus the synagogue of Satan. They were doing the work of Satan. They were pulling people away from Jesus Christ instead of pulling people towards him. And he's like, just so you know, there are the real Jews, the true Jews. These are the ones who trust in God Almighty and the Messiah to come. And they know that Jesus is that fulfillment and they're coming along with. But there were some who chose to be the synagogue of Satan. They chose to push against this Jesus and try to make everyone step back in their worship of him. They were the ones bringing the pressure and the heat. He says, behold, I will make them come and bow at your feet. Why does he say that? Well, because in the Jewish understanding of life, if you look in Isaiah chapter 22 and some other spots, it actually speaks to the fact that the Jewish people will have the nations come and bow at their feet because they know the Messiah King. And so they're talking about this this reflection that will happen with true Israel in the millennial kingdom and beyond. True Israel will end up experiencing this moment where the nations are bowing down. But what they missed is because they know Jesus. Everybody say it's all about Jesus. Dude, it's not about your ethnicity. It is all about Jesus and knowing him. And they're like, they're going to bow at our feet. And Jesus is like, newsflash. They're not bowing down or they're not having people bow down at their feet. They're going to be bowing at your feet. You know me as savior and they're going to be coming and understanding that I am king and there's going to be a bowing down. Now, whether that's at the end of the earthly reign here where there's the separating of the sheep and goats or if that's something that happens more in an eternal perspective, that's up to God to worry about. He's really saying this, I am your king. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I am Lord. And all of God's people said, and he's like, hang on. I know it's hard and I know it's washing on your shore a lot. And I know it's sapping your strength. And I see that your faith has not moved. Hang with me. He says, and they will learn that I have loved you. That I have loved you. Jesus saying, you matter. In the middle of your pain, you matter. I love you. And I am right here with you. 
Man, in the middle of our valley of struggles, know this. Your God loves you. And he is right here with you. And he is hurting with you. And he is getting ready to take us home to eternity forever. Praise be to God. Jesus Christ loves you. Man, I'm telling you, the valley of struggles can be many and deep. And they can come on like a rush. And you may not even know they're headed there. This past week for us has been kind of one of those experiences. Um, my daughter Alyssa, my younger daughter, uh, pregnant, and most of you know that, hopefully. <laughs> she was 36 weeks pregnant, so you should have known that, right? And uh, so 36 weeks pregnant and coming along, and all of a sudden, uh, her blood pressure started skyrocketing and started moving into preeclampsia, and the doctors started to get nervous. And so they were doing a lot more checks. And I remember last Thursday, I was getting ready to go off to go shotgun hunting for deer and uh, got a text from her saying, hey, just so you know, um, I have to go to the hospital right away. They said the blood pressure is too high and they're going to have to deal with it now. And I'm like, uh, deer hunting's off, right? So we shut that down and we started working as a family together to connect. She ended up being in the hospital. Jonna went over to be with her and they kind of walked through the next several days of a war. And uh, they ended up having to induce and they ended up having to move through to having the baby. And so Alyssa had a little baby boy that was four weeks early and a little bit of complications that come with that, being preemie and all. And so obviously some of the breathing problems and some of the feeding problems and her blood pressure problems and the journey of even having this baby, I don't even know how many hours, five, six hours of hard, hard labor and 30 some hours of being in the process and all of this just a hard moment, and then after having him, some of the complications and walking along with him, needing to stay in the hospital for the next four or five days, and them working through the process, and man, us just thundering through in prayer, leaning on him, and man, praise God, things are going better. God has answered in that regard in the moment. He is breathing well. He is feeding okay on a bottle and beginning to make transitions. There are adjustments happening, and uh, here's the deal. I'm going to throw a pick up. This is our grandson. Yeah, amen to that. So this is Valor. His first name is Valor, which means great courage in the face of trouble. And man, I'm just telling you, he's already earned his name, right? Valor. And uh, so Valor Daniel, he's actually named after Grant's dad for his middle name there. And so Valor Daniel is a sweet, sweet name, power name, Valor as he is literally called out now to have great courage in the face of adversity. And man, they're beginning to walk through that next journey now. And so mom is doing pretty well at home with Valor. First couple of days at home now, Grant's doing well as well. And so praise God for that. This is what's going on here in our life. And I'm just telling you, you feel these things. They sap your strength in the middle of the moments. Don't let your faith waver. Here's my request. I'm looking around, man, and I see a lot of faces with a lot of things going on. I know that, and I love you guys, and we're hurting with you guys. Hear me on this. Your God loves you. He is right here in it with you. Deep breath in this valley of struggle and hang on. 
May this valley of struggle build a mountaintop experience of faith that will rock your world. So what's your struggle? What's your heartache and hurt? What is your absolute life-sapping pain that is going on right now? Are you ready to hand it to Him and say, Lord God, you are worthy. Whether you answer yes or no or wait, I am in. You are worthy. You have my worship. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Amen. Point number two. Patiently trust only in the name of Jesus as you live in this dark world and you will be kept from the hour of trial that is coming. Patiently trust only in the name of Jesus as you live in this dark world and you will be kept from the hour of trial that is coming. He says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. Remember, patient endurance, this is a word that means to put the pack on your back, to hold up well under it, patiently enduring, not annoyingly enduring, right? Why do I have to, God, why are you so, not that. Lord God, I trust you, I am in this, this hurts with tears in my eye. By the way, please hear me on this. Tears are not a sign of the absence of faith. Tears are a sign that it hurts. And in the middle of the hurt, we can still have massive faith. Tears are an absolutely appropriate response to a tough circumstance. May we have faith with tears. May God get all the glory. Ready? And all of God's people said, huge deal that we grasp that. He says, because you have kept my words, even in the face of adversity, you have had patient endurance, not annoyingly, but patiently. He says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. I will keep you from, everybody say keep you from. I cannot explain how important those few words are. He does not say I will keep you through. He says, I will keep you from. Okay, so this is a big deal. It means pulled out of, pulled away from. And then notice he says, I will keep you from the hour of the trial that is to come on the whole world. He's like, I am going to keep you not from the trial. He doesn't say I'm going to keep you from the trial. I'm going to keep you from the hour of the trial. I'm keeping you from that time, meaning you're going to be out by that time. Right? For those who are trusting in Christ, this is a call to not be there in the trial moment that comes on the whole world. And uh, this is a big deal moment. It says here, the trial to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, just so you know, when you read the rest of Revelation, the, those who dwell on the earth is used like between seven and nine times on a little bit of variation there. And it is always talking about those who are not trusting in Christ. When you look at the story of Revelation, it is the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming again. Everybody say, he's coming. Jesus is coming again. And there's some things that are coming in between then and not, now and then, but Jesus is coming again. And those of us who are fired up about him and love him and we're passionate about him, man, we are worshiping him. We are headed home to glory, eternity forever. Our home is there. This, we're just stopping through. Our home is there. But for those who dwell on this earth, dwell means to make this home. This is home. 
This is where it's at. It's all about me and it's all about comfort and it's all about this place. And those are people who are not trusting in Christ and they're looking solely for things to be about themselves. Dwelling in this world, the not saved, the not trusting, the not looking forward to heaven. It's just about me and here. Man, those who dwell on this earth are going to be tried in this trial. The things that are described in Revelation 6 through 18 are going to begin to describe some of that trial that is coming. And we're going to be walking through that in the next series that starts in January and talking through some of those details. The last seven years are going to be a walking through where there is a shaping and a making clear as God says, I am a holy God and I stand against sin. Now, do you stand with me? Man, please hear me. The number one declaration in Revelation 6 through 18 is, come to me. That is the number one. It is a salvation call out. Come to me. His mercy poured out. But for those who say no, then there is a wrath poured on. And that is Revelation 6 through 18. And he's like, just so we're clear, there will be a trial coming and I will keep you from that. Most would believe this is probably a, a, a statement of the rapture already happening, a pulling out of the church and a pulling away, a promise of not being here during that hour and trial, okay? So that's a bit of the understanding of it. He says, I am coming soon. Jesus saying that, I am coming soon. Now think of that word in two ways. First of all, soon, right? Like in God's perspective, he has li lived from eternity past to eternity future, and there's just a handfuls of years until he comes. It's soon. Prophetically speaking, it's a short period of time in God's eternal lifespan, right? And so in prophecy, soon, just like in 700 years before the time of Christ, it said that Christ will be coming to rule as Messiah King. And it said that the coming is near. The day of the Lord is near. And those type of words, which were still thousands of years away plus, that is a very prophetic way of talking. Soon and near is in perspective of God's eternity and him managing it. But this word also has another semblance to it. It also means quickly. It's coming, like things are getting prepped. Things are coming along. I'm moving this thing in the right direction. So the word soon, yes, in the prophetic sense, it's short, and it's also coming quickly. Things are getting prepared fast and coming along. He says, hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Hold fast, cling to it. Man, the saved ones will battle. They will hold fast and there will be no um, semblance of loss in it. I'll say it this way. Think of it this way. He's saying, not that you can lose, he is saying, hold fast so that as if you are clinging to, this is guaranteed, I've got it. Hang in there. Saved ones will grasp fully and thoroughly that Jesus has it. I've got, I've got a hope in him and I am hanging on with him with all I have. Hold fast as if you are literally saying this will not be taken. May God get all the glory. Are you ready to live for Jesus Christ? Are you ready to long for your king? May he truly get all the praise. May we celebrate him with all we've got. Hold fast. Best way I can describe it. Dude, this is not an Elmer's glue kind of hold fast, right? This is more like a gorilla glue kind of hold fast. You know what I mean? 
This is a sort of a gorilla glue on your faith that sticks you to him like you would not believe. You know what I'm talking about, right? The gorilla glue, like where if you accidentally get it on your fingers, it's going to be a while before you get to do this. You know what I mean? Like, be careful. It definitely adheres. Where are you attaching the gorilla glue of your faith? To things in this world? To comforts? or to Jesus Christ, your almighty God, and whatever he chooses to do as you walk with him in this broken world. Make your faith glued to him with a gorilla glue that will not let go. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, amen, man, huge deal, huge deal. Point number three, be a conqueror for Jesus and you will be eternally secure. Be a conqueror for Jesus, and you will be eternally secure. It says, and the one who conquers, everybody say, that's saved. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will make him a pillar. Like this is one of those things that holds up the building. It is a super strong piece to it. In fact, in the midst of earthquakes, which remember they took a lot of, in the midst of earthquakes, when it would rumble, the buildings may come down, but the pillars stood. There were a lot of pillars standing around. They were the things that could take the biggest hit. He's like, you're a pillar in the temple of God, in the eternal kingdom. You are key and a part of it. You are a child of God declared and drawn in. He's speaking of the permanency of eternal life. He's these pillars that last through and through. He's like, just so you know, your eternal life is secure and safe and strong. And he says, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven. He's speaking to ownership here. You are the child of God. You're getting a name written on you that matters. He loves you. You're a part of it with him. You are with him forever. But more than that, In the Greek culture, one thing they did is when they honored someone, they would take a pillar and they would write their name on the pillar as an honor to that person and a remembrance of them. He's like, not only are you a part of the family, but you will be remembered with honor forever in the eternal kingdom with God. Your faith with Jesus Christ will bring unbelievable satisfaction. Are you in? Are you ready to worship the king forever? May God get all the glory. And he says, and I will write my own new name on you. This personal, known by Jesus privilege. Him writing his own new name, or maybe it's a name that he has for you. It's not quite clear which way this one should read. Either way, him having a special name for you, a nickname if you want to call it that, a name that calls you together in friendship and brotherhood. You are a part of the family of God forever. And man, all too often we sit in this broken world with tears welling up, And we think about this world as if it's the only place that exists. May we set down the valley of struggle in a worship of our God and start looking forward to an eternity that is going to be unbelievably satisfying. May God get all the glory, peace, and joy in this moment. He is the God of Jacob. 
He did miracle promises and miracle work. He is the God of Moses who brought Israel through. He is the God of David who promised a kingship forever. He is the God of Mary who ushered in Jesus Christ as King of Kings. And we're about to celebrate that in this Christmas season. Your God loves you. And he's working in this world moment by moment. Hang on. Hold fast. Worship big. No matter what, may God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, my God can. My God will. And even if my God doesn't, I will worship him. May he get all the glory. Let's pray.